This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about halloumi, uh, also called Halim. Yes. Oh, and I love halloumi so much. Uh. I love it so much I immediately went out and got them. I was like, this is cannot stand. I don't have it very often, but I do remember the first time I had it. It was at, yeah. yes, and I was in high school, so it's okay. kind of tragic in a way. It took oh, me that long. Yeah. Um, but it was at the festival I've mentioned before that my small town like puts on in October called Gold Rush. And there were these two areas where you could go get food. Okay. And there was like a smaller one that was less frequented. And I, mm. I was venturing out in there. And someone was handing out free samples. Oh, yeah. And I, it was cheese that was being grilled, but in a way I had never seen cheese grilled before. And I was like, well, I need this right now. <laughs> what is this? Oh. It was so good. I remember being like kind of that shocked. I'm actually kind of gaping right now. Yeah. Because I'd never had oh, quite sure. that experience yet. I, since then I have with other similar cheeses or things in that area. But at the time that was like a first for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I have not had it frequently. I, I've definitely had it as part of like like meze plates and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And like and like the, the the cravings are real on a lot of the episodes that we do. But I am so mad that I am not eating this cheese right now. Like I had to look at so many beautiful photographs of of of, of grilled blocks of cheese, and they just looked so golden brown and. Melty, chewy, and yeah, you're gonna need to get some. Um, I yes, I. Mm -hmm. That's the only way. Uh, I have some. I haven't. I think I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. I'm nervous because I've never grilled halloumi, but I have been on a big paneer kick, and I'm pretty good at that. Okay. Um, so I'm hoping it'll like transfer, perhaps. 
Hmm. But I was just going to grill it and like make kind of a tomato, a basil salad thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That sounds lovely. Good season for tomatoes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Was there any particular reason this one was on your mind? Um, I was actually thinking about paneer because I order like kind of a lot of Indian takeout and paneer is usually part of that. And I started looking into the history of paneer and it was so much. It was Mm -hmm. so much. Um, Not that that's a bad thing. That's a great Mm -hmm. thing. Um, That's lovely. And uh, it was just perhaps too much for this week. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, I was like, okay, let us revisit that another time. But then like my brain was still just like, just like grilled cheese, grilled cheese, cheese on a grill. Um, And so I landed on halloumi. Mm. Well, I'm happy that you did. I'm happy Mm -hmm. that you did. Mm you can see our past cheese and dairy adjacent episodes for more of the, kind of the basics of this whole conversation. Yes, absolutely. We It is a thing that we are fond of talking about. Yes, we are. And fond of eating. Oh, <laughs> yes. <sighs> but, <laughs> we can fix this for you, Lord. <laughs> okay, <Lord>. okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this brings us to our question. Halloumi. What is it? Well, uh, halloumi, also, yes, called halim, uh, is a type of brined cheese typically made with a blend of goat and sheep's milk and then pressed into firm, squeaky, bouncy blocks. Um, So it's like salty and sort of barney funky and toothsome, chewy and and creamy. Um, It's often packaged with uh, mint leaves, so you get a little bit of a bittersweet herbal minty notes in there, too. And it really resists melting when you apply heat. So you can cook it in the way that you would cook a steak or a slab of firm tofu or another resistant cheese like paneer. Uh, And if you saute or or, or grill it, it'll brown and firm up on the outside and turn soft and chewy on the inside. So so it's used in all kinds of different ways, um, fresh by itself or uh, chopped or grated into cold salads um, or whatever hot dishes you want to put cold cheese into? The answer being yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, I want that. Um, or cooked uh, by itself or in chunks in cold salads or whatever hot dishes you want to put hot cheese into. Um, it's like a Pokemon evolution of cheese curds. Oh, why does that <laughs> Pokemon not exist? <laughs> Should. <laughs> There's enough other edible ones. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like um, it's like if taffy were cheese and you and you could grill it um mm-hmm. it's it's the exact antidote you need for a hot summer day just salty and savory and filling but in this kind of like light bright sort of way mm-hmm. oh. it's very easy to eat a lot of halloumi yeah mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> uh but all right to explain how this all happens cheat cheat cheese 101 all right Cheese is a is a way, no pun intended or pun intended after the fact, um, of collecting and preserving the fats and some of the proteins in milk and making them tasty in, in, in different ways. Um, so to do that, you need to remove a lot of the water content from milk um, because that water content is, uh, A, preventing the stuff that you want from clumping together, and B, is inviting microbes to come eat that stuff before you get a chance to. Microbes need water just like us. Uh, So uh, there are a number of methods for this. But in the case of halloumi, you separate out the water by adding rennet. 
which is a type of enzymatic coagulant originally found in the stomachs of young cows, goats, and sheep, uh, where it helps them digest milk. Um, but nowadays is produced industrially um, from plants or is farmed from like specialized bacteria or fungi. So you no no young no young animals were harmed in the making of this cheese. Yeah, got it. <laughs> um, not directly for their stomach linings at any rate. Um, <laughs> aces, yeah. Uh, yes. so Annie was making kind of a face. I was like, oh, sorry about it. Um, okay, so so you so you add the rennet to to your blend of probably sheep and goat's milk, and this will cause the, the fats and fat soluble stuff to to clump together and separate out from the water and water-soluble stuff. The solids are your curds, the liquids are your whey. You then press the curds to like really squish them together and force out as much whey as possible. And at that point, you have cheese that you could eat or like age and or treat in a different way to come up with different styles. But again, in the case of halloumi, you heat that block of curds in a bath of nearly boiling filtered way. Uh, this process is called scalding. Um, it's it's what really makes the whole thing work. Um, and, and then you give the cheese a good salting and either shrink wrap it or pack it in salt water. Um, but okay, this is doing a couple things to change the texture of the cheese, uh, the, the scalding process. First, uh, we've talked on the show before about how heat affects protein molecules because uh, proteins are these long, twisty, curly chains that can either relax or contract. And when you heat them up, they tend to contract and, and sort of stiffen up so that they hold that shape. Um, that's part of why you get a stiffer crust on the outside of a steak when you sear it or why eggs go from runny to firm the, the, the longer you cook them. When you simmer the, this block or, or wheel of cheese, a similar thing is happening throughout the block. It's, it, it's firming up. Also, that heat and the addition of salt afterwards are going to kill off pretty much any lactic acid bacteria that you have floating around in there. Um, th these are generally considered friendly bacteria that, that live all around us and will eat stuff in milk or cheese and poop out these lovely tart acids, which give like yogurt its tang um, and contribute to the soft, melty, runny texture that you get from some cheeses. Think uh, think a brie, for example. Um that's less likely to happen in halloumi because you've kind of sterilized it. I mentioned that that whey that goes into the into the bath, into the scalding bath, is filtered. Um, uh, by which I mean, after you drain it off of the curds, you, you want to cook it a little bit to coagulate the um, the water soluble proteins that are in it, and then and then filter those out. I couldn't find a clear explanation of why you do this, but I am guessing that they would make the bath kind of grainy or maybe a little bit off tasting if you left them in. I've also read recipes where people don't do this. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> if you know, let me right know. Right in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, halloumi can be sold fresh or aged for about like one to four months in a saltwater brine. Um, it is often, right, uh, either wrapped in mint leaves or like sprinkled with dried mint when it's packaged. And at times, uh, people have incorporated cow milk into halloumi, um, either out of necessity because that's what they had um, or as a sort of cheaper shortcut um, to, to goat and, uh, and sheep. That, that is traditionally discouraged um, and by law in Cyprus. 
where the cheese is from, you can only use up to 49% cow's milk and still call it halloumi or halim. Um, Actual scientific research has been done, and I love this, um, and, and has shown that a higher percentage of goat milk to sheep and or cow is preferable. <laughs> I love that, too. That is what the science says. There is no denying well, it. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, um, it just goes like really well with um, sweet or tart fruits like tomato or uh, like watermelon, strawberry, citrus, stuff like that. You, you, you can serve it just straight up with a lemon wedge um, or grilled for breakfast uh, uh, or added to soups or stuffed into dolma or pastries, uh, make it into kebabs uh, along with some other stuff. I don't know. I understand that it makes a really good like simple warm pita sandwich sort of thing with like a sprinkle of fresh herbs and some olive oil oh, <laughs> oh. lord why oh <laughs> uh, this is this is how i feel annie like this mm. is exactly how i feel um at least we're sharing it together yeah <laughs> <laughs> the struggle is ours mm -hmm. um uh also, from what I understand, um, halloumi uh, or halim is is served at special occasions by uh, Turkish Cypriots, in particular, um, like a, like pre-wedding bridal celebrations and at circumcision ceremonies. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, please. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? Cheese is nutritionally dense. That's its whole purpose. Um, that's the whole point. Yeah, so it's got good punches of fats and proteins. It's also a little bit high in salt, so if you're watching out for that, watch out for that. Um, in general, watch your portion sizes. Eat a vegetable. I am a little concerned. I know I made a joke about it earlier, but you can eat a lot of halloumi in one sitting. Um, <laughs> hey, treats are nice. Treats are nice. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm just, I don't know how this is going to go, is what I'm saying. Oh, I think I, I'm okay. planning on it lasting a couple days when I make it, but oh. I, don't know. I don't know. It um, could be... There will be vegetables there. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Just looking for you to sign off on this. We'll see. Because sometimes cheese can also be surprisingly filling. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes you... Well, I mean, like, for me, if I'm uh, faced with a cheese plate, I'm like, I am going to eat all of this. And then very soon I'm like, oh, I am not going to eat all of this. No. This is... Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's... I think that's what's going to happen. But it is kind of a toss-up. It's we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some numbers for you. We do. Okay, so from 2013 to 2017, Cypress production of halloumi more than doubled, and an estimated 40% of that went to the UK. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, after that, the most goes to Sweden, Saudi Arabia, Germany, Turkey, and Greece. Uh, however, there is... An annual Halloumi festival in Melbourne, Australia, um, which received a lot of refugees from Cyprus in the 1970s. Um, the festival, as of its first year, 2018, had 8,000 attendees. It was supposed to be a one-time thing. They were like, I guess it's annual now. Um, <laughs> activities, activities include uh, cooking demos and dance performances and Halloumi eating competitions. Wow. Again, listeners, if you've been... Let us know. Oh, yes. <laughs> Please. Oh, yes. I need to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2018, halloumi was Cyprus's fifth largest export. 
Another source I found reported that it was Cyprus's second most important export valued around 250 million euros. Yeah, that that one that one didn't have a date attached. I think it was from 2014. Um, you know, it it, it varies. It's a agricultural product. You're not going to have the same amount every year. Um uh or the same market for it. Uh another estimate that I read said that as of 2021, um Cypriot cheese exports as a whole were worth um something like like 300 million euros. Um uh about 349 million American dollars at the time, making it the fourth most exported product from Cyprus and making Cyprus the 18th largest exporter of cheese in the world. That would include other types of cheese, but really you're you're just talking about halloumi. Yeah. And there's a similar number. We're going to talk about it more in the history section, but there's a similar number about the UK because they're huge fans and they import a lot as mentioned and so there's a a frequently cited uh fact um that they are the largest cheese importer of the world partly because of halloumi because of halloumi wow Mm -hmm. all right (laughs) um yeah it, it is uh it, it, y'all, y'all fact check me on this one. Um, it is popularly reported to be called white gold on Cyprus because of this economic importance. Um, that's the kind of thing that I can't, I can't tell if it's just something that like news cycles enjoy saying because it sounds right. fun or if that's genuinely a genuine thing. Right. Uh, so always let us know. Yeah. Um, but we do have quite the history for you. We do. Um, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, 
playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. To, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, Sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we are back with our standard cheese disclaimer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that should be another shirt we make, standard <laughs> cheese disclaimer. Um, <laughs> it was probably invented slash discovered by multiple people in multiple areas, often accidentally uh, and refined based on available ingredients and taste. So. Yeah. Yeah. Big. Yeah. Big yeah. cheese mystery. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, however, um, cheeses similar to halloumi were being produced around the eastern Mediterranean and other nearby areas going back thousands of years. Um, the, the Egyptian Ministry of Antiquities recently found these big old vessels containing big old blocks of halloumi-like cheese dating back to like 600 to 400 BCE. Ooh. Well, uh, that being said, most historians seem to agree that halloumi, at least in how we think of it, I uh-huh. would say, uh, is a product of Cyprus, where cheese making goes back to the 8th century BCE. That's according to some sources. Again, mysteries history, uh-huh. cheese history. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Um, speaking of, <laughs> uh, the basic story goes... That villagers in Cyprus would gather up the raw milk from their goats and sheep in these decent-sized portions, often adding in some mint for preservative purposes. They might not have known quite why that worked, but uh-huh. they sort of knew that it worked. So yeah, work. they, they, they observed that it worked. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that later became something, an addition that was about taste as well, not just the preservative part. But uh, in the early days, this cheese was typically enjoyed raw. So that's the basic story. Some versions are more specific. One popular one claims that as far back as the late 300s to late 800 CE, a herder from the region that is now Cyprus got the idea to combine the milk from her goats and her sheep, heat the mixture over a fire, separate out the curds from the whey, and then pat down the curds, shape them, let them cool. And once they were cooled, they were rejoined with the whey and simmered until they were floating. And then they were soaked in a salty brine and patted down once again with mint. Um, and that is yeah, that is the process. That is exactly the process. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yes. Um, however it happened, <laughs> most of these cheeses uh, were made on small household scales at the start. Um, and like many other topics we've discussed, it was viewed as and perhaps born from a way to preserve dairy. Um which was very important. Oh, yeah. Uh, on top of that, it was seen as a good source of protein. Again, not perhaps exactly in our modern terms. But sure. Knew it was kind of a filling thing. Yeah. Um, and it was prized enough that villagers came together to pull their resources and experiment to make a better product. 
Every village in the area had their own recipes, their own techniques, their own methods. By the 19th century, the making of this cheese became so vital to some families in the region that they had family names to reflect it. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, I love that. (laughs) While it was a fairly localized cheese, it was almost immediately popular. At least that's what the sources seem to indicate. Um, Not only amongst the villages that made it, but visitors to these villages. One of the selling points of it was that it traveled well, and that made it a favorite for sailors, which comes up often on this show. Uh uh Uh, Many of the ingredients and processes did act as natural preservatives, so it just made sense. Yeah, and Cyprus's location in the Mediterranean made it an important stopover for a lot of of ships. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the first known references to halloumi came out of 1556, when a fellow named Doge Leonardo Donna wrote about it, um, a 14th century Egyptian cookbook included a recipe for halum cheese, which very much sounds like what we would call halloumi. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1738, a writer named Richard Pocock said that throughout the Levant, halloumi was well known. And then uh, when the British brought over cattle to Cyprus in the 20th century, uh, some producers started using cheaper and more plentiful cow's milk to make it. Um, and this was one of those things where I read an uh, article about it. And it was so obvious when I read the quote, but the one of the producers was like, cows are bigger, makes more milk. And I was oh, like, oh, oh, yep. Yep, mm-hmm. true. Yep. Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I didn't have time to really dive into this. I would love if listeners wrote in, because this sounds amazing, uh, halloumi fries. Um, they were, they are believed to have been invented in Cyprus in the 1950s. Oh, halloumi fries. I know, right? Like oh mozzarella gosh. sticks, but you don't even need them to have them breaded. I know. But you want to. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can do whatever you want. I mean. It's true. No one's stopping it's you. It's options, right? right? Mm-hmm. Heck. <laughs> uh, Okay, um, and, and then this next note is not specifically about cheese, but it's important to, like, the understanding of, of, of the rest of this outline. So, um, so in the 1950s to the 1970s, there was all of this complicated politics playing out on Cyprus that had been building for a very long time. Um, because, okay, the, the island had been under British control since the early 1900s. I suspect this is why a lot goes to the UK to this day. Um, But a lot of halloumi, I mean. Um, uh, However, in the 50s through 70s, both Greece and Turkey were attempting to assume control. Um, And they were doing that along these like ethnic, political, historical lines with Turkish Cypriots mostly residing in the north of the island and Greek Cypriots mostly residing in the south. And the two sides agreed enough to declare independence from the British in 1960. But by 1974, the northern, like, third or so of the island declared itself a separate Turkish Cypriot Republic. Um, Today, that political designation is only officially recognized by Turkey itself. Cyprus at large is a member of the European Union, but trade is complicated because there have been embargoes and a buffer zone between the North and South. Um, Negotiations for unification have stalled at various times and are ongoing. 
Yes, um, that is important to understanding all of this. Um, something else that has been ongoing. In 2021, Halloumi was granted a protected designation of origin, which we've talked about before with so many things like champagne. Basically a set of rules. You can use the label only if you meet yeah. these standards. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be like a, like a quality assurance and a marketing right. at the same time. Exactly. Uh, and this was a very hard fought battle. Uh, yeah. Cyprus had recently lost a trademark in the UK that they had held since 2002 after it was annulled by a UK company that had been producing halloumi. And Cyprus officials missed important deadlines for documents. I believe there was an investigation by the Cyprus government because oh. it was such a big deal. Um also, this is one of those things where I'm like, we're not a law podcast. I'm not a legal expert, but there's a lot you can read about this. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, at the time, they still held an EU trademark. Um, in 2007, an attempt by Cyprus to get a PDO for Halloumi was stalled by a German company trademarking the term Halem and, quote, Integral problems with milk content, which is a quote I know holds a lot of gravity, but is also kind of funny. It's um, a little bit, it's objectively kind of hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, like like here here is where that divide again come, comes into play because um, halim is the Turkish word for this cheese. Halloumi is the Greek word. And the, the, the divide within the island was a deep part of the issue. Um, like there had to be a compromise to even get the EU into the north side of the island to run inspections that were related to creating this PDO. Um, as of March of this year, 2023, I think that's still in the works. Um, also, uh, Turkish Cypriot producers have traditionally had to export all of their supply through Turkey. Um, so for the PDO, they had to work out like whether it could be exported elsewhere directly or whether it had to go like down to the south side of the islands and through ports there due to EU regulations. And th this has implications beyond tasty cheese. Um, like, like the president of the European Commission actually said that he hoped that the PDO process for Halloumi Halem would help motivate reunification talks. Wow. It was like a carrot that they were kind of dangling. Like, can we work this out because we all love halloumi? Dang. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> oh, um, and then also included in this was some fun science. So like, so like there was some research into how to crack down on halloumi made in less traditional ways. Um, for example, adding dried milk products to help like inexpensively stretch your yields. Yeah. Um, this, this one group of researchers in 2010 identified a couple of molecules that form during the process of heating and drying milk products. They, they also, the, the, those molecules also do form during the process of making traditional halloumi because you're heating it so much, right? But they form in like a really specific ratio. Um, so you can test finished cheeses for them to see whether they had dried milk products added because the, those products will throw off the ratio. Oh, cool. That yeah. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, 
and then more research. Um, in 2017, Cyprus and the EU and a whole bunch of research facilities uh, around Europe banded together to create the science partnership called um, AgriSigen. Sure, let's call it that. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's aimed at improving the, the the quality and the quantity of halloumi. And maybe, I guess, other agricultural products as well, but like mostly halloumi. Um, so mm -hmm. so they're researching everything from the genomics of the goats and the sheep to the, 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 the crop quality and sustainability of animal feeds for those animals, uh, such as barley, um, to the microbial and fungal qualities of the soil used to grow those crops. Wow. <laughs> And it has been a point of conversation recently when it yeah. comes to halloumi because there have been uh, shortages and concerns about demand outstripping supply. Um, I found a lot of this in a Guardian article about the UK's love of halloumi. And if you want to look it, look it up, I, I recommend it because it was sort of questioning that line of when you love something, how do you consume it? responsibly yeah sure. um if you really love halloumi but there's all these shortages and it's impacting so much other things like what it was just an interesting conversation about that yeah i, I think if you google um the halloumi crisis you'll, you'll probably be able to bring it up um mm -hmm. and yeah again like it, it is an agricultural product and um and when it got that PDO, it experienced this huge boost in popularity. And so it's, you know, what to do about that? What to do about that? Um, also tied into all of that, I guess, uh, in August of 2022, um, some, I believe, American McDonald's had a limited edition uh, Taste of Spain and Cyprus menu that included halloumi fries. Um, uh, alongside, there's also a spicy Spanish burger stack um, with like a bun that had paprika in it um, and and a chicken fiesta sandwich that included chorizo. Hmm. I mean, there. I'm feeling mixed emotions about all of this, I have to say. Yeah. Because I'm like, ooh, could try. Also, oh, probably offensive. Yeah. Also, <laughs> what's going on at McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, please, please let us know. Uh, I guess they had a bunch of different like taste of wherever campaigns last year. Like there was another one that I read was reading about that was like taste of Italy. I, I don't have any of the menu items from that one written down and I don't I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. If any of you listeners tried it, I've got to know. Yes. I'm legitimately. Yes. I've said it before on this show. I for personal somewhat silly reasons I don't eat at McDonald's anymore but I go into them every time I go to a new country because I'm so curious about what the menu is going to look like yeah what the menu is going to look like and I just need to know more about what this is um, <laughs> I just have a lot of questions <laughs> yeah yeah if you can answer them please please let us know we depend on your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> in the meantime, uh, I think that's what we have to say about Halloumi for now. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, we, we do already have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. Mm -hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with I don't think that's how you fry cheese. But oh, well, I don't I'll know. find out soon. You, you. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, you have a limited window to try to give me better tips and recipes <laughs> before I do this. Uh, but speaking of, we did have a lot of you write in about soba. Yes. Which is amazing. Yes. And I, had, I had also mentioned that I have some soba and I want to know how to cook it. You have all answered the call. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it yet either, so. Mm. <laughs> Arik wrote, yes, about soba and other things. Are you both getting involved with 13 Days of Halloween? That will be freaking awesome. Soba, such a versatile noodle. Definitely good for being noodly. Good <laughs> dipping sauce for them. Recipe included. Also mixing them into a noodle salad. Cold noodles, thin cabbage, carrots, bell pepper, if you can eat them, hmm. green onions, shelled edamame, Dressing is soy sauce, low salt, fresh grated ginger, garlic, pepper flakes, lime juice. Mixed to taste, tossed with veggies, and some toasted sesame seeds. 
we should all be encouraged to have noodles. Oh. Oh. Agree. I mean, we need very little encouragement, but yes, no. I... <laughs> I might need a little discouragement. I know, right? <laughs> to be honest. Stop. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, but, uh, but A, yes, we are both involved with 13 Days of Halloween this year, um, uh, right, which is a, a limited horror podcast that comes out 13 days before Halloween. Weird. Um, Annie <laughs> wrote one of the, one of the bits of stories that's in there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was on the, on the like script editing side and it's going to be real weird. Going to, we, we, we do some weird stuff. It's going to be really fun. Um, it's, it's interesting because this process started so long before Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> which makes sense. Which is great. Yeah. No, that's absolutely. Like, yeah. Yes. Um, but you definitely had my back on uh, the food aspects of this story <laughs> because, of course, it has a, a food element. Of course it does. Involved. <laughs> and you knew what I was, you picked up what I was putting down and I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, any anytime, anytime. That was the, mm-hmm. I, everyone else in the, in the writer's room was kind of laughing at me a little bit. They were like, of course, Lauren has the food opinion about this. I was like, well, A... <laughs> Yes, like not no, but right. B, I'm right. So, <laughs> ooh, I really like this argument. <laughs> I acknowledge you. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm correct. Like, <laughs> thank you for seeing me and agreeing that therefore I am probably correct. Yeah, I think that's excellent. <laughs> I, uh, you were. I was like, and, yep, indeed. Oh. <laughs> So I'm very, I'm very excited to hear what happens. This is like kind of the fun part of that, where you're like, I've passed it off, yeah, and now I'm gonna get to listen to it with new listeners and see. I mean, honestly, same. Like, I mean, like I, like, like my mm-hmm. my responsibility ended at the scripting stage. Uh, I've mm-hmm. done a little bit of voice work, so if you hear some like wacky voices in there, it might be me. But um, uh, but but other than that, I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Yes. Oh. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And these recipes sound great. So thank you yeah. for sharing them. I might cook this tonight. Oh, heck. I don't know. I have, okay. I've got like a choose your own adventure thing happening. Yeah. For me right now. Wow. All mm-hmm. right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, if you do, if you do the Soba thing tonight, luckily Albert wrote, I listened to your Soba episode. Soba noodles are my favorite noodles. I wanted to mention a few things. One, the dipping sauce Annie had with her homemade soba did include soy sauce, but was not all soy sauce. That would be way, way, way too salty. It's typically um, uh, mensuyu, which is made from a combination of soy sauce, mirin, and dashi. However, most people would use a ready-made concentrate that you just need water to dilute, um, or you can make it yourself. Um, Here's the recipe. Uh, Two tablespoons mirin, two tablespoons soy sauce, 150 milliliters of water, and a half a teaspoon of powdered dashi. Bring all to a boil and let cool. Note, if you Google Translate, it says three-fourths cup of water, but that's a Japanese cup, which is 200 milliliters. Cool. Or just fine. That's fine. Anyway, um, (laughs) condiments for soba dipping sauce can be anything. Um, Typically, you would find green onions, grated ginger, wasabi, and ground hot pepper, uh, uh, togarashi. The other thing for people unfamiliar with cooking soba is that you need to wash the soba noodles after cooking. Otherwise, the noodles will feel slimy. Uh, So after cooking, strain in a colander and transfer the noodles to cold water, then kind of scrub the noodles together. You would do this even if you planned to serve the soba noodles hot. 
Oh, thank you. I really appreciate these tips because yeah. I am definitely someone who skips steps like this or would not know this about the, <laughs> the Japanese cup of water, for instance. Mm, so mm-hmm, very much mm-hmm. appreciated. Also, I did, thanks to your message, buy all the stuff to make this sauce. Ooh. So you know what's going to happen? I need more noodles in my life. You're right. Because uh, I'm going to have to get more soba so I can try all these different things. Oh, heck. Oh, what oh, a problem to have. What a terrible problem I have now. <laughs> um, well, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited. So it's really appreciated. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really absolutely. Is. Genuinely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. All the time. Yes. Well, I have so many choices laid before me, but they're, mm-hmm. they're happy choices to make, and I'm very appreciative. <laughs> Delicious, lovely choices. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, no, I did it again. Oh. Oh, <laughs> it's fine. Sorry. It's fine. It doesn't It doesn't sound weird. It's it's okay. I'm being, I feel like I'm being consumed by Ian Malcolm somehow. <laughs> From like the outer <laughs> dimension is happening. Uh, <laughs> Not Jeff Goldblum. Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> chaos. 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 Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then go listen to our recent uh, short stuff, whatever we're calling it now, about space champagne. Um, anyway, <laughs> thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you'd like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. Oh, we are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.